We have such a cool episode for you today. We get a chance to sit down with Alka, who actually works with us, but in our Bangalore, India office. And Alka offers a raw and genuine look at the realities of HR and recruitment for our own company, but also for all businesses alike. She blew our minds with a whole lot of wisdom, truth bombs, and really opened our eyes to some of the easily overlooked ways that culture really makes all the difference. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from. We believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. I'm your host, Jeff Ma, and I'm a director at Softway, a technology company that helps transform company cultures. I'm joined today by co-hosts Frank Dana. Hey, Frank, how's it going? Hello, good to see you. And Chris Petrie. Hey, Chris. Hello. And every episode, we dive into one element of business or strategy and test our theory of love against it. And we have a very special guest today. Uh, For those of you who don't know in our audience, our company, Softway, has two offices, uh, one headquartered in Houston, Texas, in the United States, and one in Bangalore, India. And uh, our guest today is from our Bangalore, India office. It is Alka Bowdwatch, and she is an HR executive. But amongst all the many, many things she does for our Bangalore, India office, she also happens to oversee recruiting. And we've invited Alka today to join us because she has an incredible amount of experience and insight into the recruitment process. And her, her knowledge and experience has really shed some amazing insights on how culture is impacted by it and interacts with it. So Alka, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, Jeff. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I know the time difference makes it difficult and I really appreciate you joining us today. I'm really excited about this conversation. Definitely. And, and believe me, it's a lot quieter. <laughs> in the yes. Good evening. And... Uh, we always do icebreakers, so this will not be an exception, but as always, I'll make Frank go first. I like to pick on Frank. What? Yeah, we're going to have the same question for all three of you, so we'll have time to prepare here. But Frank, you do not have time to prepare. The, today's question is, what was your least favorite food as a child, and do you still hate it, or do you like it now? My least favorite food as a child was my grandmother. Her name was Mormor, Swedish. Um, I called her more and more. No one needed to know that. She would make these Stouffer's spinach souffles, like the microwavable spinach souffle, which is spinach and egg and cream. And I refused to try it. So she'd make it, it was microwavable. So who knows how much microplastic was in the food she was eating. But anyway, and, and for years she would always, and I would never want to eat it. I would refuse 100% of the time never want to try it, never want to eat it. And then I forgot about it. And I was walking down the grocery store aisle uh, a few months ago and I saw it and I immediately got these incredible like flood of memories of spending time with my grandmother and, 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 and seeing that. And I thought, I've never tried this before. I got to I got to taste it. Like I've, I've never experienced it. I despised it without even knowing what it tasted like. So I got home, I cooked it, I took a bite of it and it was unbelievably good. <laughs> and I realized that I had missed out on this delicious food because I was afraid of spinach and I didn't want to have anything to do with spinach. And then I realized, oh my gosh, 
this thing tastes nothing like spinach. It tastes a lot like heaven. So I think that was it. There you have it. So for all the for all the kids listening to this business podcast, listen to <laughs> listen to Mr. Frank here. <laughs> Got to try Uncle everything Frank. at least once. That's it. Chris, what was your least favorite food as a child, and do you still hate it? My least favorite food as a child is and is it continues to be meatloaf. It's the one thing that oh, it was. If God came down and made the perfect entree, like this would be the exact opposite for me. Cause it was just <laughs> always, ugh, it was gross. Cause it was just like, who wants to eat just like meat mushed together, baked. And you know, no matter, and like, everybody's like, your mom makes the best meatloaf. And I was like, I'll take your word for it, but I'm not about to try it. And so if that was ever on the menu for dinner, I ate all the sides and everything. And I will take like two bites of it. Um, and it's just something that I've I've never gotten into. Still won't eat. I just it's it grosses me out. And so even now as an adult, my mom thought that I gotten over it. And so she was like, she'd be like, Chris, we made dinner. Why don't you come over and eat? And I was like, Oh, would you cook? And she like meatloaf. I was like, I'm gonna uh, not be able to make it tonight. So <laughs> and I'm like, You didn't consider me when you were making that meal. Like you, the, the I'm fasting. Yeah, the psychological warfare. Like, if anybody says, "Hey, I, I got some meatloaf," I, I it's an offense. It's not a gift. It's not considering me. So, I'm still Noted. on that bandwagon. Yeah, yeah Jeff, cancel the meatloaf thing. order. Yeah, <laughs> Alka, finally getting to you. What was your least favorite food as a child, and do you still hate it? Uh, my least favorite food as a child was biryani, and it still is. So, I'm one of the Indians who don't really like it. What? Whoa! Yes. I am, like I, the hot takes I, over here. <laughs> I am a vegetarian, and there are vegetarian variants also. Yes, but still, yeah. it's not. It's not. It's not. I'm not. I'm not okay with it. Anything but that. Oh my oh gosh! gosh. Like my, my mind has just been blown. <laughs> we have and to I'm like fear for your safety now. To be honest, <laughs> it's like you just told the world. Like, yeah, are... this is not the first time I'm getting these reactions. I've had this like what? And like, yeah. Okay. Cancel the rest had... of the podcast. We have to dig into this. Uh, yes, spend the rest. Like, of we're going chef's table. I've had, I had some. I've had some delicious vegetarian biryanis before, mm -hmm. and I'm just. I'm just mm -hmm. like, what? What? What is it about I... the biryani? Is it the? Is it the? The spices in it, the the way they do the yeah. So flavors. it's it's. I feel it's too much spice, like too many okay. flavors put together and dumped in one. Like I mean, hey, you can use the spices in a better way. <laughs> that was my opinion. Mm. <laughs> incredible! Wow! Wow! Incredible. wow. Thank, you, I, thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for like, your vulnerability. <laughs> you have just unleashed maybe a new segment of unpopular opinions on love as a business strategy. I think this could be like something that we consider for future episodes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive into this, uh, Alka. I want obviously I want to start with you. Can you tell us in the audience a little bit about what your kind of role is. I know you do a lot of things, but in the context of today's topic around recruiting, can you talk about that that process and your role in it? Yes, so uh, it's. I think I handle almost, at least I touch base with every element of the employee life cycle from recruiting to their exit. So recruiting is not when they when we hire them, but rather when we, from, from it, when the requirement comes, like, when there's a request for a new resource. 
from that time till the job post uh, hiring then onboarding then managing uh, employee relations while they are here and uh, even if they choose to separate from us uh, i also take care of the exit procedures exit interviews and managing their uh, the the other documentation that is required so i touch base with the employee at almost every site so i am the first face of a software and the last so mm. my culture and how i how my initial conversation starts is from there i have to make that impact and show what we actually do so i have to be in the right head space even when i make one individual call to any candidate I mean, no pressure on you for sure. <laughs> Not at all. I am alpha and omega. Um, all of it. <laughs> yeah, but when it comes to your your experience, I think it's important for some of the listeners and viewers to understand the the difference between recruiting in the West versus recruiting in the East, especially in India. I know it blew my mind when I first found out about it because it's it's so different. And in a tech space, because we are recruiting for t more technical roles um, right. in India, yeah. is just, it's, I call it a bloodbath, but that's not always the best way to picture it. But when you think about like the competitiveness, um, it's not just with other employers, but also you know, the mindsets and the societal pressures on a lot of jobs for these candidates, it, it weighs heavily and it requires sort of a different approach and different strategies than you might consider in the U.S. And so if you could just illuminate um, some of the nuances and differences um, that you, you understand about, you know, recruiting in India versus maybe in the U.S. or the Western, Western world. Right. Um, so... I think the IT boom in Bangalore happened when I was in school and it still continues, mm -hmm. although there was a recession in between. Uh, but there's never been a dearth of offers that the candidates have got, the good technology guys have got ever. Even in the even when the pandemic hit, uh, which was March 2020, even then the technology market in Bangalore was still booming. There were still people who were looking out for jobs. They were getting offers, not just one, but more than one. So what happens is there's so many companies in Bangalore. You believe me, every area, even a residential house is actually converted into an office. And like there are 10, 20 people who are working there. Uh, culture, everything, all that is different. But you have a job, you have some technology work, you have a project work, and you can get the work done. And people go and do it. They don't care. So now what is happening? So there's so much competition and uh, I think it's still, uh, I'm not sure how, I, I think most of the huge giants uh, from like the smallest of the startups to the biggest of MNCs, they all have set up shop in Bangalore. So, if, uh, and and since it's been remote, the, the, the place is not a problem anymore. They can be sitting in any corner of the India and they can get three offers and they can still get a you know choose whatever whatever job they want and they can start contributing so even and the worst part or i don't know i cannot say i say it's the worst part or i'm not sure companies still have three months notice period so even if i make them an offer i have to wait for three months for them to join and mm -hmm. what happens to that is in that three months they have enough time to shop around so if they are at a certain uh, salary band 
they ask for 50% and sometimes even 100% hike because companies are willing to give it. That is the mm. gap that we have with talented people. The supply is less and the, the requirement is more. So I asked one of the candidates when I was calling him and I said, okay, you, you, do you know that you're asking for a 100% raise? And he's like, yeah, I know companies can give me and I know I'm, I'm worth it. So I am asking for it and I'm not wrong. And I was like, yes, it's fair enough. Uh, and there are there are definitely companies who are willing to give that. So in in even if I give him a hundred percent hike, there is no guarantee that person would join because he still has three months or two months to still wow. shop around. So they show this offer that I've got a hundred percent raise. So anything more than that, or you match me, or you give me more than that, and I'm gonna come to you. Otherwise, I'm fine. I don't even have to. And there are even I meet those candidates also who already have two, three offers and uh, they're still looking out. And when I asked them, OK, why are you still looking out? Uh, you already have what you want. They're like, uh, it's always good to see what else I can get. And so and some candidates actually are honest that it's a startup. I don't know if there is a stability there. So I think uh, and. There's a variable component that most companies give. Uh, software doesn't do that. We Whatever we offer is what we give them. But variable component is where, uh, uh, say, 70% of it is actually paid and the rest 30% is based on the companies and the individual performance. So it is subjective. And uh, so most lot of companies where they've got huge offers, uh, they only have 70% of that as uh, for sure and the 30 percent is because based on the performance they want something that is that where they can get 100 percent fixed mm-hmm. they want the same number but they want the entire money in hand rather than uh, them having to wait on their performance or the company's performance and all that so wow that's a that's We've very educated yeah. Yeah. yeah very different so I know, um, you know, we talk a lot about, obviously, love is a business strategy. We talk about a lot of right. culture and software is always at the center of that story. And mm-hmm. uh, not often enough do we talk about the, the India office where this culture is, you know, we're a constant work in progress as an organization and as people, yes. but we also are trying, you know, not just in the United States, but also in India as well. But as you mentioned, the environment that the that the Bangalore office lives in all the surrounding companies and the talent pool and everything plays by like as you just explained very different mm-hmm. rules. Um, yeah. Can you talk about kind of how our approach to culture um, and just where we stand and, and what what we value? How does that play with that that difference? You know, like where does our culture kind of fit? Where does it doesn't fit? Where is it a strength? Where is it a weakness? Those types of things just for that perspective. Right, so I think uh, it it touches at every point, like how I said from when I make the job post and when I start calling till the time we have, a, we, we let them go. So, I mean, not let them go, but in terms of if they wanna quit, I'm saying. So, so in, in, in because, because there is so many companies, so many talent requirements, there are these recruitment agencies who have dedicated recruiters and sourcing people. 
for them it's just a job you are just another candidate and the calls are very mechanical mm. but i cannot do that because i am not an agency i'm actually talk- talking to get good talents to my company so how i reach out to them how i talk to them am i polite am i rude uh, am i being empathetic if they are in a bad space first i have to ask them okay is it a good time to talk to you because they may be in the middle of a meeting or they may be driving you're not sure so i have to put up that the how how we are naturally at softway about how we follow or uh, just be i think we are, we just be our culture it's not like we are trying to do something we are being it as people and i have to be that with that candidate so there were some interns that we were hired uh, we hired last year they completed their internship and one of the persons left so i asked him like okay why did you choose us what made you there are so many other companies that you can that you that will get the same that you will get the same stipend from but why us so he said you made the conversation easy it was never difficult the interview process was good the technical panel who took my interview were he was great i learned a lot from him it was not just an interview but it was more of a conversation and then i went and met the hr manager and uh, sunil and parthi who are our hr manager and operations head they made it as a conversation so at every stage you made it easy uh, and i was comfortable so the candidate was made comfortable and uh, i think that is one of the spaces where we give them an experience but it's not just a process mm-hmm. and that experience is what sticks with them even after they finish their internship or even even if they leave softway that experience and the time they had like it's it's more than the work that you do or the or the or the processes that you followed i think for every individual it's how you make them feel even when they are recruiting or even uh, when they are separated because a lot of organizations make people's lives hell because just just because they resigned mm-hmm. and then notice periods are strenuous and painful and it's so toxic and all they want to do is leave so what is the point of holding on to someone who's decided to leave you that's always wow. been bothering me right yeah. if they know they have made a decision uh, at least ha- at least you know thank for thank them for their contributions for however long they were with you and then just you know ease their uh, separation processes even even the separation process that we do at softway we make it easy on them uh, we we talk to the it team to ensure to collect their assets we talk to the employee okay this is your last day have you decided on a transition plan we talk to the pm if uh, to see if uh, they have understood and how the kt plan will go and then we also ensure from our end uh, we also inform the accounts team so that they can ensure the payroll stopped on the right time and we ensure in terms of us that okay all the documents are in place it's being sent to them on the last day and we don't withhold their payroll for two months which a lot of companies do again we we do the full and final settlement in that particular month in which they accept so it doesn't hamper them so all that is an experience yeah. and while they are here while they are here at any given point any of there are five six of us in the hr team and we have partnered with different track teams that we have 
and at any given point we are their point of contact anything related mm-hmm. to admin your leaves your even if you are having a lousy day we always tell them ping us we'll talk to you we are we always have an ear out for you it's up to them that they want to choose to share it with us or not um but that also is because of the relationship that we built with them and because relationships and behaviors are the crux of our culture it's even if i have to give them a feedback or if they want to give me a feedback if i want to tell them something ask them something it it always becomes easier if we build a relationship with them and they have a relationship with us so wow. i think that yeah. that makes it very important for me like at every stage of the employee how we are and the kind of experience we give all that matters you know so it's it's interesting that you you brought that up alka because um you know if, if we want to have a little bit of a book time uh page 29 of our book if you want to turn with me there um physically or digitally we've got our framework which is the actual approach that we use as an organization and what we communicate to other organizations as how you can create better business outcomes through your behavior and alka you you showcased it by the way you communicated kind of every facet of the experience of an employee when we are able to create a culture where we're able to treat each other well treat each other with humanity we can unlock business outcomes like cost containment higher revenue you know better performance um operational efficiency all of those things can be unlocked by the way we behave but there's a flip side to that as well and the other side of it is what happens when we aren't behaving well with each other and and i think what's what's interesting about your position and what you are are working towards and working on is you have a very interesting vantage point for at least from my perspective around what it looks like the invisible cost of misbehavior and and i think that would be a very interesting kind of conversation to talk about because when most organizations or most individuals that we speak with they say how can you pinpoint what a bad culture is actually costing us because you know we 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 have a good culture but you may actually not be taking to account the impact of behavior as it pertains to the bottom line and i think that would be an interesting kind of conversation topic around what you've noticed and you've seen about how that can actually create um you know the opposite of what we're trying to get which is poor performance employees leaving redu- reduction in revenue can we start there yeah sure so i think it's very easy for people to say because there are a lot of companies with very bad cultures who are still making great money but what they don't see is what they are losing so uh this happened when uh, one of the teams uh tofe uh were known for their internal disturbances there were certain issues but in terms of delivery and they were winning projects they were doing great and then uh it got us thinking as part of culture and comps that okay okay then where is the tying into what is happening here because there are disturbances but they are generating revenue like how is that and uh, then I, i it got me thinking and then uh, because i was also hiring and i'll tell you how it's connected so 
because of the internal disturbances, there were people leaving that team, so not just the team, but the organization. And then um, I, I was making the job post. I was talking to like uh, the resourcing manager, the project manager, so many people who's, who are who are talking about what kind of replacements do we get? What kind of new talents do we get? And then that led to me thinking, okay, when the person gives their notice, take from that point. The project manager has to stop everything instead of making the team better. He has to address this. He has to go talk to someone, uh, his senior, I mean, any organization for that matter, his senior or his peer, where it can be, uh, how it can be addressed. Should we retain them? Should we not retain them? That's a conversation. There's time spent in that. Then coming to next, okay. We then there's a talent allocation team that decides, okay, we don't have any internal talent, so we need someone new. That's another some time that is spent there. Then they come to me, uh, the HR team. And they'll tell, okay, we have to start recruiting, start your work, uh, do what it takes. So from HR standpoint, technology becomes uh, obsolete very, very quickly. Like I think what is new today is old like tomorrow. So I need to rework on the JD. So I need to get the, the best of the tech guys uh, in that meeting and then get the JD ready. That's some time. And then I have to post it in one, one, uh, one of the websites and I wait for them and I wait for the resumes for two to three days so that I get, I, because I need to then get another technical person who can shortlist. And it doesn't make sense each time there's only 10 resumes, I call that person to shortlist. So I wait for like 30, 35 resumes, which can come across in three, two to three days. And then I sit with them for half an hour and then shortlist. And then sometimes it happens that in those 30, 35 resumes, I get just two good ones. So I know it's this portal is not working for me right now. So then I have to explore different portals and the pricing is different. And each of these job posts cost something. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have it and we shouldn't get new talent. We should get new blood always into any organization because that will help build a new process. But I'm talking specifically about the replacement, which is connected to someone who left because of a behavioral issue, of someone's behavioral issue in the team, or more than one, I'm not sure. So it, it's very case specific. And yeah. then uh, after I, I make the job post and then I have to schedule the interview in the next week, uh, I set up at least five to six each week with different people. Say there are 30, 30 resumes uh, who, who came, sorry, 50 resumes. Let's take 50 resumes that come in. Then we shortlist 20 of them. So I schedule 20 interviews and each of our technical interviews one hour. Whoever is spending, I mean, our internal talents, it's 20 hours worth of time that's there's a cost of delay there then in that 20 hours say 10 clear the technical round then comes the hr round in hr round uh, we usually have two people so in that 10 people 10 people into two so there's another 20 hours that is invested 
and in that say five of them clear both rounds and i make them the offer the competition is so so hard here that i can expect 50% offer declines meaning if i make offer to five people i can only be sure that two will join and sometimes i can't even be sure of that so and okay say with our luck i get two people who who actually agree to join us then i have yeah. to maintain the connection during their notice period of one or two months so that they are engaged with us and that is an investment that is definitely an investment but it's also time then what happens uh, once they join they immediately can't contribute even though they are experienced with freshers right. there is there is the time that we have to invest in training them in asking them what they require to learn in terms of experienced people they come with the experience but they also need to understand the project they also need to understand the people then mm-hmm. that takes another two weeks and yeah. then they contribute so if you look at it there is a huge <laughs> delay that's amazing and, and time is money yes and there is cost of relearning because if the person say the say all the behavior was good let's look at the other right. side now right if right. the team is if if teams are high performing teams high functioning teams good behavior yes. they will only look at how i can make the project better how i can make the code better you know and all of this delay won't be there and someone is also becoming unhappy while they are leaving that will also cost our employer branding okay okay you're talking about it but i didn't get the experience mm. what you're talking about then we have to address okay how do we how do we how do we make you okay you've decided fine but how do we make it easy for you you know yeah. and the person's last resort would be to leave before that they might have spent uh, or they might have tried that is yeah. also an issue and while all these interviews are happening too many interviews also impact the interviewer's mental health because they are taking away their time other than their work time so 8 hours of work plus another hour they spend that one hour is gone for them and it's it's of no use if the person doesn't join mm-hmm. so there is there is time there is mental effort and there is uh, there's a cost of relearning that will again lead to delay so if if the if they were high performing teams and if they, if they had a great relationship with the client so we have a good uh, we have a great respect as an employer we have a great respect as a partner for our client because it's a great team good people talk well they manage well and i think even for them because like how mohammed uh, says that most of our away cars we spend at our office they're actually they'll be having a satisfied job uh, like where they are happy where they, where they are they where they feel fulfilled but if they are in a in a setting which is constantly toxic or if there's uh, it's it's all an effort right it's it's it doesn't involve cost per se but as a person it's costing them as a company it will cost at a at a stage and these things may not be monetary okay i can i can give you the specifics of how much i spend for the job but the time 
the payroll that is given to me, that is given to our, I mean, not payroll, sorry, sorry, salary that is given. It's all for the work that is being done. So everything is a cost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And right. and right. I as a recruiter, if I don't have to, if if I didn't have to recruit so many people and in this uh, market, imagine what I could contribute to. I could contribute to our culture. I could talk. I could have more one-on-ones with my people. I can build better relationships. Mm-hmm. I can improve and build on the culture that we have. But that is stolen from me because I need to fill in the gaps of the talent that we have. Stolen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate you breaking down all the nuances of where these like this this cost uh, comes out of the process because I, I think I think a lot of people, especially our audience here, probably understands at a high level that turnover is bad. It costs something, and there's a there's a, there's that inherent cost to it. But hearing the all the specific places where time, money, energy, and inefficiency is sucked out of a an organization is 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 so important to hear and and i love that you connect it all the way back to behaviors because that's the kind of message i think that's hard to get through to people because people don't realize that whether you're a manager or anybody just in an organization when you are in that meeting and you have that feeling or you see someone say something or do something that's just wrong and a lot of times we're, we just end up being like well that's that's just Chris. That's just how he is. And we all kind of just accept those types of things, right? Like we don't connect that, yeah. that, that thing that we're accepting is this, is this starting point for all this other really, you know, even if you're just here to do the job, even if, you know, you don't care about culture, you don't care about love or people, you just want business success. Well, like, People don't connect that 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 very yeah. behavior. You still have to care about behavior. If, if you're here just for the work, your work is impacted because when that team member, when that person who did that goes and upsets somebody else or reaches a certain point for another team member and that team member leaves, that yeah. team member's void falls back on you. That that work that's left, that that knowledge transfer you have to do for the next person who comes in, that yeah. that extra rework you have to do to relearn what they were doing and fix it all that comes back to you. And so I, I try to, you know, I struggle. I'm so glad you shared this because I think people don't get that. Like some people, like I respect people who are like, I'm not about, you know, lovey dovey stuff. I don't need to like become friends with my coworkers. I'm like fair, but it doesn't mean you can disregard what the, the, the impact of culture to a business. So thank you so much. Sure. Yeah, and yep. it's 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 not even just about the behavior, right? I'm I'm not telling that go love that person or give them a hug. No, don't. <laughs> but like, have you had had a, a a day where someone said something very mean to you, and then your day was off? Because I've had mm-hmm. days where it started with a lousy meeting where someone really treated me in a certain way, and I couldn't make recruitment calls that day, which I had mm-hmm. scheduled for two hours. Because I know I should be in a good headspace to talk to a candidate because it's my first touch point with him or her. And it's just that simple. So imagine those teams where the leads or the managers are so toxic and people are almost dying every day just to work. Instead, just imagine them being happy and imagine how much their productivity can increase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not like they have to love their job to do it, no. but whatever yeah. they are doing, their yeah. headspace will be in a certain way where they can actually contribute. And I think the other thing that many leaders miss is 
how much of a person's role isn't documented anywhere. Right. So, yes, we can have knowledge transfer from the team, but the reality is that most of the knowledge that someone leaves with is not documented. I think it's like it's a crazy high percentage. I think it's over 40 percent of a person's role is not documented. Um, and so if you're expecting someone to step in, even in two weeks, let's say they get fully up to speed on the project, the client, et cetera, they still have to fill in 40 percent plus of, of the previous person's knowledge in order to be as effective as the person that left who may have been a high performer. And so when you factor in yeah. that type of hidden cost where you're like, well, why can't this team get it back together? They were such a high performing team a week ago. And now it's like, what's going on? And that costs the business. And many leaders just don't yeah. understand that impact. What you said is like totally right. Because when you said that, all I could think was if I was a client facing person and I've built a certain relation with him or her, I just leave the relationship also goes away and that person would have built that kind of trust in me. And that is irreplaceable. The person, the new person will have to forge a new relationship and build a new kind of trust or spend enough time and, uh, you know, consistent deliveries for that person to be trusted. Yep. But they'll, that, that, uh, what do you say that that reference bias? I don't. I'm not sure. Reference where, power. A reference power. No, uh, I think it's uh, where you know someone and you want the next person to be the exact copy of uh, them. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> recency, it. recency. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's fine. You're, we know what you're, you're saying. Good. Yeah, yeah. We know what you're saying. So the person, so if a client had a relationship with someone that left. They're expecting the next person to be just as good or the same or similar or treat them the same. And when that isn't realized, even if that person is great, even if that person is still handling the business of the client, it's still not the same. And therefore, the client sees the the partnership differently. Yes. Um, and I think it, it, it impacts a lot for the client, too. Right. Because yes. I, like it's like replacing a friend in another company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, in services, much of the work is sort of therapeutic for clients, right? Like I always tell everyone that like, we hear the client's real feelings. They, they can be honest with the vendor more so than they can be with their boss. You know, the fact that, you know, I think it's what uh, over 50% of people trust strangers over their bosses, right? <laughs> we build that relationship where they confide in us. They share their innermost um, sort of feelings about the company, the direction the project is going, the direction the bosses are giving, um, and to have that sort of stripped, you know, you can't transfer trust. Trust is non-transferable. Um, so you can't yeah. just put somebody new in and be like, well, it's still software. Hey, <laughs> right. And, and then expect the yeah. same depth of relationship to be there. It has to be rebuilt over time. I'm not talking about it as a third party. If you guys didn't know, I was also an engineer earlier. So I was actually a QA on one of the client mm -hmm. projects. And I had to interface with the client for a certain for for certain things for some sign-offs. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first few weeks it was very mechanical, very transactional. And at every call they would have with them, I would naturally ask, How's the weather? How are you doing? Just before it starts. And it built relationship over time and, and after a while they would trust me even if I recommend something to them. Mm. That was the power of relationships. And mm. I couldn't do it if 
if I wasn't in that headspace or if I wouldn't give importance to them as a person, but not, not as a, not just as a client, but okay, they are also humans. They were in the UK and they had lousy weather on a lot of days. It was rainy, it was foggy, and they still made it to work. It was a big Always. deal for them. Yeah. Yeah. I love the UK. Um, I consider that, you know, God misting and giving, you know, <laughs> some very beautiful green grass. Like when you fly into London, I'm telling you that grass is just beautiful. The grass is um, greener. And so I think it's just a cost they have to pay, but you know, but also, also the benefit is that you get to wear some really nice coats. The coats in London are bar none. So it just makes sense. That, I see it. it <laughs> yeah, it's like so. But I hear you. It's still you know rainy, you know foggy. Misty. Let's have a Seneca session there, Chris. Try me in there, please. Let's go. I I think I think it's interesting because you know oftentimes we talk about love um, on this podcast is literally called love's business strategy. But again, the the core tenets and the pillars of love that we're talking about are these tangible, actionable ways that we treat each other. Right. So. We're not talking about giving people hugs. We're talking about trusting. We're talking about being inclusive, being empathetic, being forgiving, being vulnerable, being empowering. And when you have that in a team or in a group of people, you're naturally able to bring your full self and you're, you're able to, to create an environment for others to feel like they can bring themselves as well. And Alka, what I was thinking about too is how long it takes from someone to know they're unhappy in a team and then make up their mind to leave and how much wasted opportunity by someone not even wanting to show up and do the work, but being like being forced to, or having to, because they just have to do the job. Right. And so I think that that matters that even that, that time frame from when it could be weeks, it could be months, it could be years when someone says, I'm not happy here and I'm, I'm kind of done, but they're still showing up to work. I think that's an interesting way of, of connecting those dots too, is thinking about the impact that that has when someone has already checked out from a team mm -hmm. um, and, and the, the outsized role that a leader has in being able to produce a, a relationship, like you mentioned, that is founded on being more inclusive or empathetic or, or vulnerable or even forgiving, right? And that's why we talk about this so much because we're trying to help people and organizations see themselves, not as having to use the word love, but as having to act in ways that create an environment for people where all of this unnecessary stuff doesn't have to happen. And where you retain talent that truly wants to be a part of the team and you're able to get great work done and not miss out on revenue. I, I think another thing is uh, we mistake what we say when we giving we are giving back to the community. It's not that you don't you have to go teach like 50 students or send money to somewhere. If you are being part of the system, if you're being part of any system, you are including people in you and contributing to someone, to your employee's mental health or your organization's success, everything is giving back to the community because who who is community? We all are community. Hmm. And if we don't, if if you don't have to plant like hundred trees to make make a point, just just awesome. just get more happy people on the planet. And I think that should be a big deal. I, I love that. This is okay. this is pure. This is pure fire. Like what you're talking about hmm. right now is just incredible. Like. 
That's Think awesome. about that for a second. Or yeah, um, mm -hmm. executive producer Maggie says, "Taking me to church." That's what she just said. <laughs> Taking me to church. I, what is community but people? And we, when we treat people well inside of a company, and they go home and are happy, and they treat their family well, and they care for their their parents and their relatives, and they they do for others as a result of feeling included. Like it's just it's it's beautiful. Yeah. Can we sort of like shift gears a little bit and like right now and in many of our podcasts, we talk about the positive sides of sort of retaining the talent and like the regrettable interest in people that you don't want to leave. Um, but what we rarely talk about is when there are people who are not living those values and what do you do with them? Because most more than likely, those are not the ones who are leaving on their own. <laughs> most of the time, those are not the ones who are, you know, getting recruited and or are entertaining offers because one, they're likely more comfortable in their behavior and they've gotten away with a lot. Um, they have been rewarded for their loyalty. You know, we have been guilty of rewarding people for loyalty at Softway. Um, but I know that that's also a challenge for many people, which is, you know, what is accountability inside of this culture? And, you know, as a recruiter, as someone who's, again, through that entire employee life cycle, what does that look like when you have those misbehaviors from people consistently that is costing great talent? Like, how do you or what do you recommend for listeners and viewers who might be in that situation where it's like, I want my bad ones to maybe leave if they're not on board and I want to keep the good ones. But that also means that the good ones have to endure at some to some degree these behaviors that we know are not good while we try and uproot and sort of prune were necessary? Um, I think that, so yes, what you said is right. So when, when there are people who don't believe in this behaviors end up impacting people who actually are living it. And mm -hmm. it'll be like, okay, why, is, why are the rules different? I'm doing my best, but you're still being very mean and bad person to me. So I think feedback for me has worked like I'm not perfect either. I've had my days. I've been mean to certain people, but when actually people brought it to my attention, it was difficult. Receiving feedback is not easy, but I've also realized it was my biggest gift because I didn't wait to be so unchangeable that until then, if imagine my manager or any of you guys also had waited enough to give me that feedback at, at after a certain point i realized that that is working for me and i won't change so i will continue to be a meaner person for everyone that i meet and when i was told that alka what you said was not right i think you should have you shouldn't have said it in, in this way and i was like i'm so sorry i will thank you for keeping me in check that was the most that has worked for me so i think if you truly care for someone uh instead of instead of um you know being all fluffy about it just tell them where they are going wrong and i think at that point they may hate you but i think true the most uh close friends and the truest of friends of mine have have called me my shit when i was that bad person and that's why i trust them that they are true and they are trustworthy because they are not just about my good things. They also see my bad things and tell me that they, they have the they have the right. It's not just about the right. It's about their true caring for me that they have told me that, okay, you have, you've, you're not doing it right. And I think for, for anyone who's facing that kind of issue, instead of 
talking to everybody else or which I have done, which I was guilty of. And I think I would, I recommend that they directly talk to them and they'll call them out like, hey, I'm not feeling good about what you're doing. And I think you should think about it. And if they still don't think it's on them, but at least, you know, you tried. If you don't try, if you don't say, they tell, right? If you don't ask, the answer is always no. So it's yeah. like that. So if you don't tell them, they will never know. Yeah. And, I, and that timely feedback is important for anybody. And nobody is perfect. Everybody can change for the better. It's like an English exam where there's always a better way to write an essay. You never get 100 <laughs> on 100 there. Every person is like that. So I think everyone can change for the better. And it's just the choice of them if you want to be better or if you still want to be stuck in the muck that you want to be. Well, I'll go. That's, you're just full of um, <clears throat> true wisdom. And I really appreciate all this, all this stuff. It's amazing. Sharing. No, I've made think... so many mistakes that I had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that wisdom. I'm still making way. it though. That's where wisdom comes from. So oftentimes in the show, we're often narrowed in on on individual like we, we narrow in on like a leader and we narrow in on just one person's role on a team and things like that and i really appreciate this conversation because i think we don't zoom out often enough to see the end-to-end -end process as you mentioned um even i called it recruiting to start but really it's more than recruiting it's like from sourcing all the way through the process and joining and then while they're working and then when they leave there's a whole life cycle where culture is infused in every single part of it and i really appreciate uh the amount of detail you shared here today to give all of us that open our eyes to just how much goes into that and just where culture can actually fit in every piece of it and you know i think that perspective is so important because when we get narrowed when we narrow down to to specific we get over, you know, we get too focused on just, oh, we just got to be nice to people and we have to take care of each other. And it's important, but we also forget just this true business, uh, the revenue impacts, the true costs and the true uh, big picture of it all, and why it matters, uh, why we call it love as a business strategy, because the business um, benefits and hurts from these, these types of things. And so that was why we wanted to talk to you today. And we got that and more um and and some philosophy mix in there and everything and just amazing insights so first and foremost thank you so much alka for being here today but also for continuing to um you know every day away from this show putting in the effort to make sure that love is felt included and experienced at softway so thank you so much for everything that you do alka first and foremost yes thank you thank you for having me it was a nice yeah. conversation Absolutely. And I know this wasn't like we, I know Frank invited you. And at first it was like, uh, uh, you were like, oh, I don't know if I want to go, but you, you, you were an amazing guest. And I really, really truly appreciated all the wisdom you shared and learned a lot. So I, thank you for that time and staying up late to do this. Thank you so much. Uh, for our audience, I hope you enjoyed that. I know I did. And thank you for tuning in want to make sure I always, always remind you to please check out our book. Um, it goes into detail about all these things that we talk about, and you can find it on Amazon and other retailers. Um, please do check it out. Love is a business strategy. And on the podcast, we post new episodes every Wednesday. And if you like what you hear, please do tell your friends, subscribe, 
give us a five-star rating, all that good stuff. And with that, I want to thank Frank and Chris as well. And as always, everybody, um, have a good day.